Welcome into NHL at the Rink, our weekly podcast. We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm Dan Rosen. To my right, got Sean Rourke here. Sean, how you doing, man? Return engagement. Return. I'm very excited. Two yeah. weeks in a row. This is awesome. This is good. You earned your way back on, let's say. That's what you have to do, right? You have yeah. to go out and yeah. see what you can do. And talking about earning your way, let's start the podcast talking about John Carlson. Oh. He's earned his way into three-star nominations and everything else you could possibly do. He's earned himself into the company of Bobby Orr and, and Paul I know. Coffey. It's incredible. So at the time we record this, he has 18 points in 10 games. Third defenseman in NHL history to get 18 points in his team's first 10 games, joining, like you said, Bobby Orr and Paul Coffey. I think when I watch John Carlson play, I see a couple of things. I see a guy always with his head up, always looking to make a play. He'll dump it in if the play isn't there, but that is like the last resort for this guy. He is always eyes up, looking to make a play. And I also think, and Tom Galitti, our colleague, wrote about this, the Capitals are activating their defense a little more. They want their D to be active a little more. Carlson is obviously bought into that. He is their most offensive defenseman. But but it's just the way he's always looking to make a play, always surveying. I think that's impressive. And, yeah, there's a little bit of luck involved here, too, to get all these points. But, but because he's always – thinking offense he's generating more offense and with the weapons around him you can do it yeah and I don't know how much of it's luck look one thing he's really good at walking the blue line yeah I think he's one of the better players at doing that two you look at his points now and I think five of his goals have been primary either he scored them or he's had the primary assist on him he gets to pass the puck to Ovi, who just has a monster one-timer. So, you know, he has that advantage that a lot of defensemen don't have. And he's not getting a ton of points on the power play. Less than half his points are on the power play. And he's he's able to – it's not like the Capitals are shooting lights out. You know, it's not like they're carrying 25% shooting percentage. I think it's around 10% when he's on the ice. So there, there's nothing analytically that suggests that this is some sort of flash in the pan. Maybe this is John Carlson at 29. I mean, he had 80 points last year. So maybe this is a guy who – uh, 70 points last year. Yeah, I'm 70, sorry. Yeah. You know, maybe this – I'm thinking I'm already projecting for You're this putting year. putting him at 80 already. Right? Maybe yeah. he's a guy – there's only been three guys since 2000 that have done a point per game as a defenseman. So maybe he's the next guy that does that. You know, and I've been thinking about this for a while. There's a couple of guys, two in particular, of that you, you wait for the next – like they'll win a Norris Trophy eventually. Carlson – clearly is one of those guys the other is Seth Jones from Columbus but Carlson right now I mean look it's very early but it's it's not a flash it's not a fluke we've seen him do this before we'll be able to put up points not at this rate but be able to put up points and the, and it'll it'll calm down a little bit but he is it's not like he's sacrificing defensively either he's still an excellent defender as well a lot of times we'll see these offensive defensemen and they'll push and they'll take the chances and they'll you know they'll be up the ice and they'll rely on their guy behind them he's not doing that at all no and look you mentioned Seth Jones and you wonder about an offensive defenseman I mentioned the three guys that did it it was it was Burns it was uh, Eric Carlson, Carlson when he was with Ottawa, and the third one was Nick Lidstrom with Detroit. Lidstrom's the only one in those years that won a Norris for, for being a point-per-game guy, and he was the best defensive defenseman I've seen in a long time that could produce offense. So, you know, I think Seth Jones is a completely different defenseman than than John Carlson is. He's much more sound in, in his own end and, and puts some points up, but will never put up the points that John Carlson does. And I think we get to the end of the year every year, and those are the decisions that the voters have to make. Like, is it offense? Is it defense? Is it both, right? Some people say there should be an offensive 
Norris Trophy and a defensive yeah. Norris Trophy. I don't know if I agree with that. I think you need to find that happy medium. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch John Carlson and, and, and Washington, you know, as they kind of figure this out. Let's not forget, it's only 10 games in. They're still figuring out what they can do and what they can't do. You know, they have pretty much the same team as last year, so there is a lot of familiarity there. But uh, I, I think he's on the verge of taking another huge step. Oh, I, yeah, definitely. I just, I just love the fact that he isn't sacrificing the D for it. Another team, speaking offense – and not sacrificing the D, the Arizona Coyotes. Derek Stepan, I did a story on them off a of practice at Madison Square Garden on Monday, and Derek Stepan said this team has a feel of a playoff team right now. If you look at the Coyotes, they're winning some games. They're scoring goals. They were so goal-starved last year. They averaged about two and a half per game. They were 28th in the league. They could defend. Their goaltending was excellent, but they couldn't score when needed. Now they're scoring goals. Nick Schmaltz, Phil Kessel have come into this lineup. Schmaltz was hurt last year, and it's made such a difference. Their defense hasn't suffered at all, but they're winning games because they're scoring goals now. And Phil Kessel hasn't scored a ton yet. He, no. he finally got off the schneid, but he's not been the power they thought he'd be. Good on their front office, right, for making those trades. I mean, every one of those guys you talked about has been brought in, sometimes to much derision, and, and, yes. and, they, and they've paid off. And you can't even you can't even fathom how liberating it is to be able to score goals, right? You look at that Coyote team last year; they almost made the playoffs. They made that crazy charge at the end of the year, but they, every game was two to one. And every time you had the puck on your stick, you knew you had the score because you might not get another chance. You know, it's like writing on deadline for you or me. If you don't get that first sentence, the the whole rest of it's, it's horrible. A great you're just yeah. you're just thinking about it the whole time. Like I'm going to mess this up. I'm not going to make deadline. They're thinking about if I don't make the shot, we're going to lose this game. And, and I don't care how good a goal scorer you are. When you're thinking like that, man, your hands get sticky, they get heavy, and and you're trying to be too fine. So, you know, I, I think to get this confidence early on is liberating. And to win a little bit with without another defenseman and, and Nick Hamilton, you know, I think when they can show they can win without their best shutdown defenseman, that's only going to bode well going forward. Here's the other thing: what they what they have, we don't have. You know, <laughs> they have. Speaking of the analogy to us as writers, they have speed. They have a ton of speed through their lineup. Their fourth line right now has Michael Grabner and Vinny Heinestroza on it. And, you know, not to go too deep into the Coyotes lineup, but when you have a fourth line that can move the way they do, they, they have team speed up and down the lineup. Oliver ekman Larson told me it's the fastest team he's been on there and what a difference it makes. Yeah, you could counterpunch, right? Yeah. And I'm going to take offense because I'm pretty fast All with right. my two fingers there you typing. Go. Typing you are, definitely. One more team I wanted to get to, the Blues. Big win against the Colorado Avalanche. Kind of a so-so start for the Stanley Cup champions. Here's my take on the Blues. The way they play the game, it's just hard to play it for 82 games. You can count Vladimir Tarasenko as a superstar, I guess, but they really it's not one guy stepping out and making the difference every night. They won as a team last season because five guys were together all the time they played a hard style a grinding style and i just think that's hard to replicate over an 82 game season when the desperation kicked in they were able to do it when they absolutely had to win they were able to do it but to do it now it's 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 just very difficult and i think that's why you're seeing some up and down play from st louis 
Yeah, uh, for sure. And look, there's a couple other things that work here, right? There's the the dreaded Stanley Cup hangover. They had a short summer. They didn't get to work out as much. All those things that go into it. I, I talked to Craig Berube before the season started when I was up in Traverse uh, for the rookie tournament. And he's like, look, we're going to have to manage time. We're going to have to manage workloads of players. They, they have a lot of mileage on them. You know, you're not going to see Jordan Binnington play like he did down the stretch. I, I think there was maybe three games after January 1st he didn't play in, right? Because they needed somebody to be hot and he was the guy he's like you know you're going to see more backup goaltenders you're going to see ice spread around more you know you're not going to see those top 2d log 28 29 minutes a game we're going to let everybody kind of find their way and 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 pull on the rope together and, and see where we're at and look there's that safety net now there's that that security blanket of hey if things aren't great on january 1st guess what we know what we can do ah, they it's can't the same do it team. again they but they're not going to be they're not going to be a last place team again if they need to make up 10 points they know they can make up 10 points yeah i just it's funny like people think that because the blues did it last year oh well you know hey yeah slow start you'll still be able to co- overcome it i'm not going to las vegas and making a bet on that happening again no, I don't think so, but I think they've shown the mental fortitude, and I think that's what it is. I don't think it has to do with skill. I don't think it has to do with anything on the ice. I think it has to do with a mental mindset that you're just going to go out and you're going to grind the other team down and you're going to be better than them over 60 minutes. And, and there's very few teams in the league that have that. All right, we're going to continue this whip around the league, Sean, with our first guest, our colleague, NHL.com columnist Nick Kotsnika. We will have Brian Engblom, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, on a little bit later to talk a little lightning. So, Nick, though, we want to start with you on the Vancouver Canucks and Quinn Hughes. You were just at the morning skate in Detroit with Vancouver. You're, you're on the phone with us right after that. What is the talk about Quinn Hughes and the impact this guy is making right now, such a young defenseman, that he's making with the Canucks? Well, everything's positive. Uh, you asked Travis Green about his adjustment from college to the NHL, and he'll just tell you everything's been great. Uh, he talked to his teammates what leaps out about him. Uh, they talk about his explosiveness as a skater, which I think we knew. Uh, but to see it translate at the NHL level is something else. And, you know, this is a guy who, you know, will turn explosively to get away from players, you know, opponents, and do things at the blue line that not a lot of defensemen will do let alone a guy who's only played a handful of NHL games. Um, you know, I, I was talking with Pedersen, and, and he kind of laughed and said, I think he must have grown up as a forward, and, and he meant that as a compliment. I mean, he's just got skill, he's got vision, uh, and it's coming out uh, very quickly in the NHL. You know what? It's interesting because the Canucks were in New York, Nick, at Madison Square Garden, and I was talking to a few people about what's, you know, what's better, what's different, and they all mentioned the defense and how it's better, how much better it is. And how they haven't, you know, they don't, they haven't had a, had a guy like Quinn Hughes on that defense, and that what a difference it makes. Well, if you look at the Canucks, they started pretty strong last season as well, but I think it was a little bit of a mirage. This this season, um, you know, they have the puck more, and they're spending less time in their end, uh, and I think some of that is is the defense. And now Hughes to bring it back to him. Uh, they started putting him on the first power play unit against New Jersey. Then he played there, the, I think, the whole game against the Rangers uh, over the weekend. And what you notice right away is just movement. You know, he's not static at the point, just has the puck and dishes it off. He moves around, opens up lanes. Um, you know, so it's a different element than they've had back there, and, and I think you're starting to see it. And, you know, I look for him just to get better and better the more that he adjusts to the NHL pace in the NHL game. 
Look, and they're they're a young team, and and they're growing together. You know, they're one of those teams that's kind of taken their lumps. You know, Edler's pretty much the only guy that that's been there through the good times, then through the bad times, to what they hope now again is the good times. You know, I know you spent a little time with J.T. Miller today too, as well, and he's been a huge part of that so far this year. He struggled a little bit last year after the trade, but he's fit right in with them. Well, I. I think he fits that top line very well because he can skate, he's got size, he wins battles, and he gets the puck uh, to Besser and Pedersen, and, you know, which allows them to make plays. Um, even when that line is not scoring, it has the puck in the offensive end, and that's, uh, that's a difference maker for them. Um, you know, talking to him today, he's like, I just get I got to keep it simple. You know, if I keep it simple and do my job, then, then we have success. Um, the other things he does, you know, he's really good on faceoffs. Uh, and he plays net front on the power play. So uh, he's been you know, a pretty good addition for them uh, so far this season, and he just has to keep doing it to sustain that now. Uh, let's bounce back east. One of the teams the Canucks recently played, the New Jersey Devils. They now have a new assistant coach, if you want to call. Tom Fitzgerald, that. He's the assistant GM, but he's on the bench right now. This was a reaction to their slow start. They've got a couple of wins with him on the bench as an assistant. My take on this, guys, is that uh, they don't want to get rid of John Hines. They don't want to make that change, so they're trying to find something new here, something different. Nick, what did, what did you think when you saw that an assistant GM would be going to the bench? Well, my first reaction is that the front office wants a closer look at what's going on, but I don't think there's a lack of communication between Shero and Hines. I don't sense that. Um, you know, but we've seen variations of this before. I mean, last season, now that was a coaching change, but Bob Murray went behind the bench in Anaheim, uh, and that was explicitly to get a closer look at, at what was going on, uh, to get a better read on his players. In Chicago, you had Barry Smith uh, go behind the bench with Joel Quenville. Um, you know, and I forget what his official position was, but he was front office advisor or something like that, and he went behind the bench. So it's happened before. Um, but I just think when you're struggling, you know, you've got these resources, use them. You know, I don't necessarily think it's, it's something to make John Hines look over his shoulder. Uh, I'm not close enough to, know, to the situation to know more than that, but I, I think they're, they're trying to figure it out. And the more eyes, the fresh eyes on the ice, a different perspective, uh, the better. You've got use, resources, use them. Yeah, and look, it's part of New Jersey's DNA, right? I mean, when Lou Lamarillo was there, he did it a couple of times. He won a Stanley Cup with it, right? Yeah. It, where he changed. But I think sometimes you need that guy that's divorced from the team, the day-to-day of the team, to go in. And let's not forget, Tom Fitzgerald coached a little in this league. But more importantly, he played 1,000 games in this league, and he was an elite, elite the- detail player you know he only scored 300 and change points so nobody wanted him around for his offense he won face-offs he knew what to do in the defensive zone he knows all the little tricks and he was one of the most mentally strong players I, i've ever seen he was a captain of the the expansion nashville predators and took some lumps there so i think he offers a lot to this team you know what though they're the, the guys the, the examples that you guys have brought up they're all relevant examples the difference is this was john hines said this was his idea you know bob murray takes over that was the GM getting rid of the coach I'm taking over I don't think Joel Quenville wanted Barry Smith on the bench it wasn't his choice it wasn't his idea at certainly at all when Lou took over it was firing the coach this is a different this is a a different type of uh, situation altogether I think well fair enough and if if you take it at face value that's John Hines you want to win right and he feels secure enough then uh, to have somebody come in and help him I mean 
Jeff Blaschel in Detroit, you know, it was his idea to hire Dan Bilesma, you know, after working with him uh, at the Worlds. Um, and a lot of people looked at that as, oh, Dan Bilesma's coming in to be the heir apparent, um, and Blaschel's in trouble. Well, no, it was Blaschel's idea. So, you know, taking at face value, that's a guy who's secure, you know, enough in himself as a coach, um, you know, to, to ask for help, you know, to, to try something else. And so, you know, let's see if it pays dividends. Nick, Vegas got to 100 wins. The Vegas Golden Knights got to 100 wins in 173 games. It's your second home. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, hey, Sean, can you send me back? Yeah, yeah, yeah he wants I to gotta, go back. Got to water the lawn. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big milestone. We should probably have you do a couple of Sunday long reads Absolutely. On it. He's got to go like for it. at least yeah. two weeks. What does this mean for Seattle? Honestly, I mean, is this fair at all to what Seattle's going to have to to deal with? Because I don't think it's going to – they're not going to be able to run from the comparisons. No, I mean, they're, they're, they're already getting the comparison. I've already written a story about it. <laughs> Others have written stories about it. Um, it means that people are going to make the comparison. I don't think it should matter. I, I think Vegas is a unique circumstance in lots of ways. Um, I don't think it's fair to compare Seattle to Vegas, um, and we could do a whole podcast about why. Um, what I do think is that Seattle will stand on its own, um, and Seattle may not be like Vegas, but Seattle will still have a better chance to compete as an expansion team than previous expansion teams. Like, everybody's going to draw the parallel to Vegas. Okay, that's fine. But what really matters is comparing it to um, expansion teams in the past. And I think Seattle will be set up to, to do much better than those teams, and it'll have its own journey. Um, if you look at it, there, you know, there will still be a more adva- advantageous expansion draft than in the past. Um, I know people say that you know Vegas has, has spoiled the party for them and teams won't make deals like they did with Vegas, and I think there's definitely truth to that. I still think there will be teams that have cap issues and contracts they want to unload, and it will be up to Vegas or up to Seattle um, to take advantage of that in its own way. So that's a long-winded answer of saying I think people will make the comparison, and I know I don't think it's fair. And I just want everybody to know when you went to Vegas uh three Octobers ago now to start this journey, you did not say they would have 100 wins by now. As big a, as big a Vegas fan as you've, as you've been, you did not say that, and I don't want you taking credit for it. And you know what? Neither did they. <laughs> and that's the honest truth. When they drafted that team, um, they did not think they would have this success. They, they picked players that they specifically were looking to trade at the deadline. That's why they picked them, Neil and Perron in particular. Um, they didn't know what they had. Um, and early in the season, I can tell you for a fact, uh, they weren't expecting to be good. Yeah. And, they- you know, it, it took off and snowballed in ways they didn't expect. What I give them a ton of credit for is recognizing, uh, I would say, a third or halfway into that season that they had a much better team that they'd planned for, and they changed their approach. They realize, hey, we got a chance to make the playoffs. We have a chance to be a good team, and they changed course, uh, and now they've got uh, what they have. Sean and I talked a little bit about him before and what he's done so far this season. What's what's your take on on John Carlson? Eighteen points through ten games at the time we record this podcast. One, I think it's a hot start. Um, I think he's not going to, you know, stay at this pace. Um, two, you know, like we we've seen defensemen come out strongly this before Morgan Riley, you know, 
comes to mind where, you know, he has a hot start and we're comparing him, his numbers to Bobby Orr's, you know, through X many games, and he tailed off. I think he'll tail off. That said, um, you know, I think John Carlson's an elite defenseman, and I don't even think he's underrated. I think he was fourth for the Norris, fifth for the Norris, a couple, you know, back-to-back years. Like, that's right on the cusp of, of you know, being a Norris finalist. So I think he is getting credit, and I think this is good. You know, he gets noticed a little bit more when he, when he puts up numbers. Um, one really interesting thing I saw was uh, from Mike Kelly at the point was pointing out that a lot of his points have come from setting up one-timers. Um, not just on the power play, but at even strength, and how when you set up one-timers, especially in the slot, um, you've got a great chance to, you know, to get assists because that's where you know, the highest shooting percentages are. So he's got a team with, of course, Alexander Ovechkin, but he's got some other high-powered offensive players. And if you have a knack for setting them up on one-timers, you're going to put up points, and that's what he's done so far. So um, you know, I think he's off to a great start. I think it'll tail off. I still think he's an elite defenseman. And, um, you know, if he, if he does put up another career high, uh, maybe he'll crack that Norse finalist territory. Hey, Nick, uh, one last thing before we let you go. I want to hit up another hot spot that you hit this year. Right before the season started, you went to Florida, did a number of stories on their situation there with Quenville and everything else. And now, you know, into the season, they, they're, they're decent. They're not where they want to be, I don't think. They bring in Brian Boyle to kind of bolster their lineup a little bit. Um, you, you probably know them as well as anybody after being there for a while. What do you think Brian Boyle does for their team? Well, I think... Entering the season, they had a hole at third-line center. Um, now they're beaten up with Barkov and Trocek, uh, you know, banged up, too. Uh, so, look, I think they needed help at center. I, I don't think – I think Boyle probably should be a 4C, um, but he may end up playing 3C there. Um, you know, obviously we know he's a great guy, um, you know, good in the room, as they say. Um, he's going to play the right way for a veteran coach who's looking to teach a team to play the right way. Um, And he'll give him some good minutes. I I worry at this stage in his career, you know, he's bounced around for a reason. Um, So, you know, we'll have to see how he performs, but he's a great person. He'll play the right way. That's what they're learning how to do down there. I think um, this has been an interesting period for them. They wanted to get off to a good start. They haven't. Um, I think some of that's adjusting to Quenville, and I think some of that's Quenville figuring out where the weaknesses are. Because if you look at, he's already started to shuffle some things and kind of evaluate his personnel and see where the holes are. Um, and it's going to be a little bit of an evolution here in the early going of the Quenville era. I still have one more for you, Nick. We're doing an exercise on NHL.com for Thursday on who we, the biggest surprise of the first couple of weeks of the season. What's yours? I picked the Sabres, and, you know, I could have gone all kinds of different directions. I mean, I didn't expect Dallas to be where Dallas is right now. Um, you know, I didn't expect the Pacific to be as good as it is with, you know, Edmonton and Anaheim and, you know, Vancouver and playoff spots. Um, but the Sabres, to me, you know, even though they were, you know, first in the league November 28th last year, even though Ralph Kruger, you know, did well in the World Cup of Hockey, I just didn't see them starting this strong. Um, and I don't think it's a mirage. I mean, I know a lot of it's good goaltending in the power play, uh, but I do think this is a team uh, that looks like it might be better than we thought. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin is off to a great start. No, you know, looks uh, like a difference maker, like no sophomore slump for him so far. Um, 
and I'm really interested to see how, you know, they're not going to sustain this pace, but whether they can be a team that can be on that playoff chase as the season goes on. And obviously, after what happened last year, uh, we'll take weeks to figure that one out. So there you have it from Nick. You can check him out on Twitter, at Kotsanika. So he has the Sabres. Sean, I have the Ducks. Is the biggest surprise. This is gonna, we're going to run this on NHL.com on Thursday, but where are you going? What's your biggest surprise? I assigned it so I don't get a voice in the exercise, <laughs> but for me, it's going to be Pat, it's got to be Patrick Laine. I, I thought he wasn't going to be very good coming into the season after his contract uh, negotiations went well into training camp. There was some bitterness over how he was used, and he hit the ground running and, and has been a fantastic player for the Jets, who have kind of been a middling team so far. And now everybody gets to see him on that big outdoor stage this weekend um, in the Heritage Classic. And to me, over the first three weeks, he's been the guy that's really caught me by surprise. I just didn't think the Ducks had it in them to put together a streak at the start of a season to, to where they could give themselves a little bit of a cushion. Dallas Aikens taking over. I, I still don't believe in their offense all that much, but they've been able to score some goals here and there, and their defense and goaltending has still been really strong. I, I'm a little bit surprised. It's a little topsy-turvy, the West. Let's put it that way. They got John Gibson. They, He's great. They can put yeah. together a streak anytime he plays. You mentioned Line A, and I think he wanted to have a rivalry with Austin Matthews, and maybe he does. But we have seen, and I want to get into this topic, we have seen you know, this Matthew Kachuk-Drew Doughty rivalry between these two players. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic for the game. It's emotional. It's aggressive. It's two players at the top of their positions, really. I mean, two really good players, a Norris Trophy winner, Cup winner against a really young player. It's been terrific to see. What do you what do you make of this? Do you like it? Do you like seeing this type of player versus player rivalry in a league where we talk about the teams so often? Of course. I, look, it's great theater, and I think what it takes is it takes players who are confident and who kind of break the mold. Like Drew Doughty is never going to shy away from talking no. about anything, from talking about himself, um, from saying that he should win the Norris Trophy to how bad the Kings have been. He will give you his opinion. He will give you his opinion of Tuchuk. He's not going to be shy about it. Neither is Matthew. So I think that's where a lot of it comes from, and reporters love it. They fill their notebooks. They and eat they, it up. Yeah, and it's, it's great for everything. Everybody's engaged in it. But you need those players. I think there's a lot of under-the-radar rivalries that never – really get talked about because the players won't buy into it and they'll say well that isn't a rivalry look Ovi Sid was that way I I think Tyler Sagan and and Hall are that way right one two you talked about line a Matthews um, you know and then there's been the more volatile ones there's been the Kane Evander Kane Reeves one uh, you know that's come to a boil a number of times in the playoffs last year for me personally look I've been covering the NHL since 1993 on and off 94 was my first year doing it full-time there's never been one meaner, nastier, or more compelling than the Scott Stevens, Eric Lindros one. Those were two guys that were at the top of their game, so much bigger than everybody else they played with, and just completely, completely driven to dominate the other one. And it turned into some great theater night after night when they played, especially in the playoffs. And, and you, we remember that from hits, obviously, from the physicality of it. But it, it was. I mean, those two guys, their teams were good. They were the leader. They were the best players on those teams, you could argue, certainly best skaters. And it was nasty. And it was, it was you had to watch it. You simply had to watch it. And that's how I feel about Dowdy and Kachuk with the Flames and the Kings. I, we're in the East Coast. I'm staying up late. I'm staying up late no matter what I have to do the next morning to watch that game. And... Because I don't know what's going to happen. It's great theater. 
it, it's not so much for me the same with the Reeves Kane thing because you're talking about a guy who's really on the fourth line versus a, a top line guy, and they're not on the ice all that that often together. Doughty's going to be on the ice a lot against Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, and look, the other differences, you know, we talked about the Stevens one and, and Lindros. Those guys were heavyweights, not in the classic punching sense, but just in the size they are. You know, to me, Dowdy and Tuchuk are more middleweights. And you saw in, in the last time they met, they kind of had the wrestling thing, right? Yeah. They got in the dog pile and Giordano comes and he's over the top. You know, it, it looked like a three-on-three tag team match. Um, and, and look, it's awesome. You know that the players get up for those things and, and players need things to drive them. You need somebody, you know, not to steal from the Gatorade commercial, but you need somebody on the other side to make you your best. It's a long season. You can't get up for 82 games. I don't care what anybody says, but you know Drew Doughty's going to get up every time he plays Calgary. Sean, it's a, it's a great topic, something that no doubt we'll be following all year, but we got to move on to our next guest. He's Brian Engblom, an analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning and a former NHL defenseman. But before we get to the Lightning, Brian, i got to ask you, John Carlson, Sean and I talked about him a little bit before, 18 points through 10 games as we record this podcast. What do you make about what Carlson has done and why? Well, I think it's a, it's an evolution um, of his talent and his experience in the league. Um, experience should never be underrated or underappreciated. Understanding what he sees in front of him, his ability to um, – follow the game plan, and by that I mean every team now, the way the game is played, it's, it's very play-oriented. You know, there are there are set plays that every team has in, in virtually every situation now, and, and he's a, a terrific quarterback for that. Um, and you have to have that. Everything is it's a puck-centric league. You, you have to be protecting the puck all the time, doing the right thing with the puck. So the guys who have high hockey IQs like Carlson does, still have the advantage over the guys that are a little bit lesser in that department. Um, he's always had the skills, and he's got that cool, calm demeanor that, you know, uh, the great players have had um, in past history. The players who know how to make plays, who have the guts and the patience and the skill to turn nothing into something and then all of a sudden into something great. So I think all those facets of the game were there for Carlson and he's in the groove right now and whoever he gives the puck to is going in the back of the net so good on him he's a terrific talent um I think the the cool calm demeanor and the understanding lead the way in all that stuff offensively it's almost the same situation that that you guys have in Tampa right with with Hedman and the ability to you know feed it to Stamkos I mean you look at at Carlson he's he's set up a number of different goals but primarily Ovi from his spot and and Hedman and all the defensemen with Tampa Bay kind of have that same opportunity with Stamkos, no? Yes, um, very good similarity there, no doubt. Um, and those guys, you know, attracting so much attention, those guys being Ovechkin and Stamkos, um, attracting so much attention um, make a big difference, too, because it gives other options, it opens other people up. Um, and Carlson and Hedman here in Tampa – get a chance to you know take advantage of those situations for sure so that that's a factor as well brian i wanted to get to the lightning a little bit and and it seems that the microscope you know this team is going to be under a microscope whenever they play and it always seems like what this season so far it seems like what they do is not 
it's either just hey they're supposed to do that or oh my gosh what is wrong with the Tampa Bay Lightning what how are they handling this what do you think the Lightning are doing now to to handle that microscope that they're under uh, and how are they performing under it in your estimation um, I would say they're in transition when you have um, an historic tying season 62 wins it's it's pretty crazy yeah and there are a lot of times you can tell that the, you know the players last year and John Cooper were almost kind of shaking their heads like, wow, you know, we did it again. Found a way to get it done. Um, miraculous stuff, really. <laughs> you know, on some nights you go, how in the heck did they win that game? They know they were outplayed, but, you know, they stuck with it and the talent came through. And it's it's uh, it was something to watch for sure. Now, what happened in the playoffs, obviously, is also part of their DNA. A very important, very strong part of their DNA along with the 62 wins. So how do you balance that? I think that's what they're going through now. They're trying to get the balance right. They know what went wrong. They know that, you know, the grinding part of the game, the execution, the battle level, the not trying to, you know, make plays all the time, playing by the clock and the score, which I think is something that got lost on them at times last year and carried over into the playoffs. And uh, it really kicked them and kicked them really hard. And they kept, you know, trying to execute the plays, which were being taken away from them in the neutral zone, causing turnovers. And then instead of focusing on buckling down, I think they didn't get to that point until too late, you know, towards halfway through game three and into game four. And now you've created a monster on the other side. So now they're trying to walk that line between, okay, we know who we are. But we also have to learn to grind a lot better. When we have a goal or two lead, we've got to be shutting other teams down. And, yeah, that's going to sacrifice some of the pretty plays, but that also has to become more ingrained than it was last year. They're, they're not there yet. Uh, their practices, I just came from one, have been really battle-level intense. Um, and John Cooper and the coaching staff have really done that. Uh, you know, small-area drills battling against each other, winning loose pucks, fighting for space, um, all that kind of stuff, instead of, you know, making a beautiful play and how five guys touch the puck six times before it ends up in the back of the net. So that process is going to go on all season long. I think you're going to see the ebbs and flows of it, and we've seen that already uh, so far this year. It's a small sample size, but is it concerning that, for the most part, the lower-line guys are the guys that have kind of executed that and, and kind of driven possession, whereas guys like Stamkos and Kucherov are still, to a degree, being taken advantage of in the defensive end? Um, I don't think it's surprising. I think that sort of epitomizes what we're talking about. The, the guys on the third and fourth line are more grinding-style mentality. They know who they are. When you get to the NHL, you know who you are. Maybe if you're you know a rookie and you've been a huge scorer your entire you know career in college or in junior – that's a different story. You're still feeling your way around. But when you've been in the league even, you know, a year and a half or so, you pretty much know who you are. The rest is confidence and, you know, gaining um, experience against other players that you're playing against. So third and fourth line guys have been grinding usually for a pretty long time. They know how to execute because if they hadn't been executing up to this point, they wouldn't even be in the league in some cases. So then you have to take the first, line and a half with top-level guys, you know, Stammer, Cooch, whatever, especially after a year that they've had, and prior successes and prior years of piling up points, 
how do you balance that my need for points and my need to supply goals for the team because that's my job with how am I doing without the puck, which is what coaches are hand, you know, hammering into your head all the time. So I, I don't think it's surprising. Um, it's the guys at the top, though. I will say that I think Stammer in particular has really worked hard on things like puck retrieval and battle level when he hasn't had uh, the puck on his stick or he's not in shooting mode or he can't get those chances. Um, I think Cooch has got a ways to go, quite frankly, and I think he's struggling with that. That being said, Brian, let, let's look at their game against Colorado. They lose the game 6-2, to two, but they outshoot the Avalanche 46-24. to 24. Does this kind of show what they're going through, some mistakes that end up in the back of their net or just lack of execution that ends up in the back of their net? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think that was a really good eye-opener about what you can do offensively. And it's not like they didn't create any offense in the four games that they lost to Columbus. They created offense, and they had some chances. And Bobrovsky, after the first period of game one, was all-world. And you're going to get that a lot in the playoffs, right? It's different in the regular season because you're on to the next city and the next team, so you just kind of shrug it off. But, again, having that playoff mentality and, and knowing that when things aren't going right, you better be able to shut it down. You better hold these guys back. And when they did make mistakes, they made some doozies. And, and they did. They, they got beaten to loose pucks. And it was, you know, it was not the top guys that were killing them in that Colorado game. So, you know, lack of focus um, at times and letting a guy get away from you by, you know, a foot or two or three feet, getting him, you know, letting him beat you to the front of your net, not being on the right side, not taking care of his stick, all those things. When they made mistakes, they were doozies. But you know what? I mean, the score, I wouldn't play it up too much. I think if you talk to Colorado, they would say, wow, I mean, we played pretty good, but, I mean, everything they touched turned to gold. And good on them. They made great plays and great shots. But, I mean, everything went in, and not much was going in for the Lightning. You're going to have nights like that, too. All the more reason why the grinding part of the game needs to kick in mentally. Brian, is it is it almost a blessing in disguise that, that the goaltending for Tampa Bay hasn't been good to this point? I mean, again, you're, you're only looking eight games in, but it's been nowhere near as good as it was last year, and it was almost it seems like it was almost a safety blanket last year. Does this kind of help John Cooper drive his message home? I'm really glad you said that. Yep, absolutely. Agree 100%. Um, Vasilevsky he deserved to win the Vezina Trophy. You know, and some people look and go, oh, look at the team he played on. Unless you watched all every game like we did, you don't know how many times he saved their bacon. I mean, it was a lot, a lot of games. The players know. But at the same time, you still, you know, you tend to play that way anyway. Like, Vasilevsky's so good, you know. Thanks, Fassie. But you go out and do it again. Um, so, yes, I, I think it's actually a, a blessing in disguise that he's he's been just average for his standards, for sure. And he's had, you know, periods where he's been off a little. Call it whatever you want. So it, it reinforces what the coaches are saying. Uh-uh, you can't do that. You can't have, you know, just Fassie bailing us out all the time. And, and now, you know, the evidence is right there staring him in the face. So I agree with you completely. Wanted to, uh, Brian, take you away from the Lightning just a little bit. We There is an interesting story going on in the league. Tom Fitzgerald, assistant GM with the New Jersey Devils, who I'm sure you know, he is now on the bench with the Devils. They actually a couple of wins with him on the bench. Have you ever seen this? What do you make of uh, of an assistant general manager 
going down to the bench. This isn't a guy with a long coaching pedigree either. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's that's a feel thing. Um, I don't think you can even compare to you know way back in the day when I was playing. I mean, this is a totally different world. You got seven coaches on each team, <laughs> and you have. Uh, I mean, literally, you do plus skating instructors and you know drill uh, people who work strictly on drills, and then you have a couple of GMs and you have a capologist and everything else. So you have a lot of people around you that you didn't have back in the day, where there are often only two coaches on the bench. Uh, uh, head coach and assistant coach, and and that was it, in uh, one GM. So you have the availability of of people like him, where you just go, okay, we need something. We need we need another set of eyes and and another voice behind the bench to help point out some things and maybe just even change things up a little bit. So I'm I'm I think it's, it's great. You know, you got to do whatever you got to do. He he's not that long out of the league and. And, you know, he has a, a good sense of what, how the game is played. And um, they obviously trust him to get his message across. And really, that's what it's about more than ever, I think, in today's game. Brian, I, I wrap up a little bit. I want to go back to the Lightning for a second. One of our colleagues, Emily Benjamin, is doing a story this week uh, on, on Stamkos. And, you know, he's, he's approaching 400 goals. And she talked to him. And he was somewhat rueful in talking about it because of the games he's missed. He's like, we should be talking about 500 goals. And clearly he has a lot of career left. But in, in your playing days and since you've been out and been a broadcaster, you, you've seen a lot of really good players. I'm wondering where you kind of put Stamkos in that pathion. Well, that's um, that's a tough one um, because the game has changed so much. Again, um, it's really tough to compare what you know in my era, say Gilbert Perot or Guy Lafleur or Mike Bossy or you know any of those guys or Espo. Um, you know those. It was a, a different time. You didn't have you know the the one timer now is is a, a big part of the game, obviously, and Stammer. And, uh, and Ovi are still at the top of the food chain because they've done it more than anybody else. Um, so he is such a pure shooter. It's, it's just awesome to watch him in practice and in games and see him execute. I mean, you just have to get the puck near him. Some guys, for their one-timers, they need it right in that wheelhouse, you know, maybe a foot or 18 inches either way, or they're not going to get much on it. Stammer's wheelhouse is probably two or three times that big. You get it anywhere near him, and he'll contort his body, and he'll get a lot on it, and he'll get it on net probably 95% of the time. It is unreal to watch. We did a, a piece in, a, in pregame a couple of years ago, actually, after I talked to Ben Bishop when he was still here with the Lightning, and I asked him the difference between OB shot and one-timer and stammers. And it really showed up when we showed a lot of slow-mo stuff. And he said, Ovechkin is like a junk pitcher, right? Because he's got a nasty spoon curve, and he shoots a lot of junk. It's going end over end, it's sailing, it's dropping, and it's coming at you 95 miles an hour. Um, Because if you watch how he manipulates his hands up at the top, he's got a lot of hand action. You can compare it to guys in golf who, you know, are off the tee. Everybody has a little different style. Some are more handsy than others. Stammer is not very handsy at all. It's smooth up and back. And there's a click, and you can barely hear it. And it's like he hits, you know, his driver right on the screws, and it's 340 yards right down the middle. And it's smooth. The, the, the puck, if it comes to him flat, is going to come at you. Uh, if you're the goaltender, just like a laser beam. It's flat. It's crisp. It's smooth. It's a laser. 
right now, but Stammer's hands and his ability, his timing, he must have been a great batter in baseball <laughs> because, I mean, talk about a contact hitter. I would guess he must have batted about 450 when he was a kid because he just doesn't miss. Such an interesting description of Stamkos' shot, and it'll be on display Wednesday night against the Penguins on NBCSN. Brian, thanks for doing this. Great stuff. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. Interesting stuff from Brian Sean there. And, and, and having covered that playoff series against Columbus where the Lightning got swept, that was one of the, the thoughts I had coming out of it, the, the idea that this team didn't grind enough. They set all these records. They were amazing in the regular season. But they weren't hard enough to play against, certainly not hard enough to play against Columbus. And, and so it's, it, it is surprising, yet it's not surprising, I think, that they're going through a little bit of a change here early in the season. Well, I think it's unbelievable that they didn't change the team at all, really. I mean, they brought in some, some smaller pieces, but they really haven't changed the mindset of the team. Their, their identity is what their identity was. They think they can change it within the room. And look, when it's all said and done, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be okay. I don't know if they're going to win a Stanley Cup, but I don't think they're going to be the team that just loses their way completely when they get to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, And I think they're going to the playoffs. Let's put that let's to put rest it, right well, yeah. I think they're going to the playoffs too. And I, I think that they understand where th- their talent and their situation and that they, they have – probably some time here because they are good enough to win games even when they're not at their best that they have some time here to remake themselves on the fly in the season which we don't see very often no and look everything in hockey is a journey right the 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 tampa bay lightning are going through a journey right now they have to put the the ghost of the past in the past you know and, and each player goes through a journey i think as they go through their career and i thought it was really interesting you know you talked to matt dumba a little bit at the player media tour this year when we did it in chicago and you you just turned around a story on on the journey he's going through and some of the things he learned as a junior player and, and the transformative moment you know that he really had in his career and he really opened up to you in the story that you have on the site now and you know before we go just tell the readers a little yeah. bit about it. it's an important mental health message that he has a very important mental health message so matt dumba and hayden flurry as i learned after the fact from the carolina hurricanes both had a friend in red deer they played for the red deer rebels in the western hockey league kale williams who on february 10th 2013 took his own life and matt was 18 kale was 17 hayden flurry was 16 we didn't know anything about this i sat down with matt dumba totally unexpected this came out of the blue and later on i asked him why he brought it up he said well just the questions weren't asked the right way before or it's just it just hit me at that point but i asked him a question about tattoos on his back and where they come from and he started to tell the story of his friend kale williams and how it his tattoo is representative of kale and you could hear it in this soundbite how how matt is getting emotional and how he's trying to fight back the tears i originally got my first piece on my back was a memorial piece for uh one of my friends um kale williams he's a awesome awesome dude uh yeah from red deer um just a live wire socialite kind of man. I put a little uh, sugar skull on my back and it has like a Jesus piece, like a uh, chain on it and his little afro and like picking it. And um, as, as like my back, that was the first piece on my back. And then as it grew, you know, I put the, I put the lion on there. Um, I'm a Leo and you know, I love Lion King, Lion King, the courage, you know, and um, the courage to come back and, you know, um, the courage to, with my friend Kale, um, no one, no one knew what, what had happened. Um, but it was, uh, he had, he had, he had taken, uh, his own life and, um, 
no no one knew that he was hurting like that and uh that's what made me put courage on the on the top of my back uh, right by my neck um i was just tying in the the cross i have on my back and i uh, knowing that you know kale's up in the sky you know i have the sky theme kind of r- around the lion um kind of just in the stars and it's just like having that courage to uh to have those tough talks with with your friends with your family um talks that um you know that give you chills that um you know could bring tears could do that and if you see something wrong with anyone uh anyone close to you like that you know or anyone on the street like that's a that's a big thing to do and that's how I want to go about you know how I um see you know mental health and it just it just touches close home to me and I know it does so many other people so um that's kind of the theme of my back it's just uh that courage to courage to have those talks and find those words when it's not always the easiest thing to do Man, that's unbelievable. I mean, really powerful stuff. Look, it's a really important message that he's trying to get across, and, and even more so in the story. Like the thing he learned from that was, if you see something, say something. If you feel something, find somebody to talk to. I don't think that we stress that enough in in our sport. You know, it's such a you hide everything, you hide your injuries, you hide everything, but you need somebody to talk to. And, and for Matt and Hayden to both learn this and to want to move on in their lives and do more with it, it's unbelievable. So fantastic work by you. Yeah, I appreciate it, and, and I. I certainly encourage everybody to read the story on NHL.com, not because I wrote it, but because of the message those two guys are sending. And it is a great message to end this podcast on. We had real interesting stuff from our guests, Nick Kotsanika and Brian Engblom. And Sean, thanks for sitting again and joining us. Hey, it was my pleasure. Two weeks in a row. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it three. I'm leaving next week to go to Sweden for the uh, Global Series game. Both Nick and I will be there for the Sabres and the Tampa Bay Lightning, who we spent a lot of time talking about today. So it'll be interesting to see them. Hopefully, uh, return engagement somewhere down the road and you find somebody even better than me to do it next week. It'll be big shoes to fill. Enjoy your trip. A reminder to follow the other podcasts on the NHL Podcast Network. You've got Executive Suite with Deb Placey. The Fantasy on Ice podcast with Rob Reese and Pete Jensen in draft class with Adam Kimmelman and Mike Morial. Until next week, enjoy the games.